If you could keep your Bibles open at 1 Corinthians 12 there, I'll be putting some of those key verses up on the screen, but it'll be helpful, I think, also, if you've got your Bible there, because there'll be a few other things I'll be referring to, and it's always good, I think, to have something physical in front of you. David's given us a... just call you David. Dave's, Dave's given us a helpful uh, introduction to this series that we've been looking at uh, on church. So far we've looked at what is church and what is church for, purpose of church. And today and next week, really, both the same topics. What is my role in a healthy church? Let's pray as we come to look at this together again. Heavenly Father, we, we, we do want to have you be the one who speaks into our, our minds, our hearts, our lives, so that that is the thing that dictates and directs um, our motivations and our actions. And as we think about this in particular today with regard to our role in our church, this body of Christ that you have uh, built around us, among us, we ask that uh, you will help us to hear what you have to say and to let that be the thing that shapes what we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, that the topic that we're looking at today is what is my role in a healthy church? And, and we will be looking at this over two weeks in different aspects. Did you notice in the, in the Bible reading from 1 Corinthians 12 that we just read there, the metaphor of the, the body, the church as a body? And, and so our question really is, if that body is going to be a healthy body, then what will the parts of the body be doing? During the week, I, I went to the doctor, nothing serious and, and not COVID, uh, I can confirm. Uh, but, you know, the, the doctor listened to my lungs and, and checked my ears and did kind of all the doctory stuff that doctors do when you go to the doctor. He wanted to make sure that the various different parts of my body were functioning the, the way that they're meant to, because if they're not, then something's not right in the body. And so what we're looking at today is really, if, 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 like with the physical body, for the church body to be healthy, the parts need to be functioning properly. And so the, the question around that is, well, what's my part in that going to be? What's my role in that going to be? How do I play my part in the healthy functioning of us as the body of Christ? And today the focus really is on the question of how we serve, right? How, how do I, what we often say, use my gifts in the church? And, and the way that we're going to go about this is really building on the two points that we looked at last week, if you, might, if you remember the two points of the purpose of the church, to, to glorify God and to build ourselves up. Those are the two kind of dual purposes, and our two points today really are going to be coming off the back of each one of those. And so our first point is simply look up. Uh, another way to express that is I don't, I don't care who's watching me. That is, my motivation for what I do as I serve does not come from a desire to impress the people around me or to be seen by the people around me. Rather, it comes from a desire to glorify God. Right? I think that's pretty easy to understand. I think most people kind of connect with that as an idea pretty easily, even if we often forget it and slip back into other practices or other motivations. But that's the idea, that is... I, I, I don't do what I do in order to get praise and recognition from others. You know, Jesus said, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men in the eyes of men, to be seen by them. And this also applies to our serving. 
and to how we interact with each other and to how we use our gifts in church and in the body, in our fellowship together. So have a look with me at what Paul says to the Corinthians here in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. He basically says, make sure that you're not kind of ranking each other and valuing each other based on your serving, based on how you're using your gifts. Because the Corinthians, it seems, or some of them at least, were doing that. Some of them were thinking that they were super spiritual and that their spectacular or impressive gifts were the evidence of that. And, and the particular issue that he's dealing with here is speaking in tongues. And it seems that these guys were looking down on others who didn't have those same kind of spectacular gifts and, and saying, you know, my gifts show that I'm spiritually superior to you. Maybe if we were to use our own kind of language for that, we'd say I'm, make, I'm, more, I'm more mature or I'm more committed in my faith. Now, now, presumably they weren't actually saying it exactly like that. Normally we're pretty good at uh, being a bit more subtle with our boasting. But that's basically the, the general idea of what they were doing. They were kind of boasting based on how they were serving and what they were doing. But Paul says to them, no, you've got it wrong. Different gifts and different ways of serving don't distinguish between different kind of classes or category of Christian. And, and let me read from verse 4 here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, there are many kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. You see what he's saying there? And then he goes on with that idea of the body as having different parts. And it kind of needs to have different parts in order to actually be a functioning body. You know, if the whole body is an eye, he says, makes me think of that little character in Monsters, Inc. But if the whole body is an eye, then where will the sense of hearing be? If the whole body is an ear, then where will the sense of smell be? You know, we, we get the idea, right? And, and, and so there is no place for making value judgments on each other based on what we do. So the first point really is just to make sure that we get that motivation right. Earlier, just a a couple of pages earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, he says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is, look up as you serve. That is where you look to look to. Or again in Colossians, he says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So you you might have heard this expression, in a healthy church, everyone of us serves with an audience of one. That is to glorify God, to, to please Jesus, to bring praise to him. That must be the reason and the motivation for our serving. And so what that means is that whatever we do, that needs to be the, that's the fuel, that's the, the driving force, the motivation, our relationship with God, our, our own conviction of faith is what's driving us and a desire to love and serve and glorify God and not a desire to, to please or to be seen by other people around us. Now, at this point, a question that kind of often comes up, um, and I think probably a natural question is, well, does that mean that I shouldn't do something if my heart is not in it? I wonder if you've asked that question. Maybe that's the question that comes up for you naturally at that point. I, I shouldn't do something if my heart is not in it. So, you know, if you're doing th- the, the right things for the wrong reasons, then you should stop doing those things until you can get your motivations right. Now, that can be a complicated question, but normally my answer to that question is no, that's not necessarily the solution. You know, we will always be a, a kind of a mixed bag 
of motives, good and bad. And the point of this is to make sure we hear this challenge to let it critique our motivations and challenge our wrong motivations. It may well also change what we do, and we'll come to that later, but we don't necessarily stop doing good things until we can get 100% of our motivations right. And you can maybe ask some more questions about that later if you like. But another thing that I've noticed around this is that it particularly, I think, speaks to people among us who are doing a lot, right? You can, you, you can get that. And this is something that I know that I need to keep hearing, uh, who are serving in more visible and obvious ways. That is, the more involved we are in, in church stuff, the more likely we are to find our validation in that space, to, to, to let our pride and our identity be found in those ways that we are serving. And so this does speak, I think, first or, or, or especially to people who are doing a lot among us. But whether we're doing a lot or a little, the, the same idea applies to all of us. And, the, and I think what actually ends up happening is that if we get this right, if we get the motivation right, what ends up happening is that our, our serving actually ends up flourishing. It enhances and grows how we serve because because it challenges us at the level of, of that motivation. And once we get that right, then, then it opens up all kinds of willingness and enthusiasm and joy in serving. We want to do more and we want to do as well as we do it as well as we can because we know that it brings glory to God. And what it'll end up doing is, I was thinking about this during the week, it'll end up making us serving more like an iceberg and less like a rubber ducky. I don't know if you can think of the differences between an iceberg and a rubber duck. And I don't mean the capacity to sink the Titanic. I mean what you see above the water, right? What do you see above the water with a rubber ducky? That is all there is. But with an iceberg, that's literally just the tip of the iceberg. That's what you see. Because what we are doing, we are doing in God's eyes, and he sees below, below the waterline, I guess you could say. He sees what no one else sees. We're serving with an audience of one, and so we look up as we serve. That's the purpose and the motivation, that we bring glory to God as we serve him. So that's the first point, and hopefully that's reasonably clear, and something we need to keep coming back to and keep getting grounded in. But it's only a starting point, because the second point, I think, actually makes a significant difference as to what this ends up looking like. And that is, look around. Look around. Or to put it another way, I I do care who's watching. That is, my decisions for actually what I do comes from noticing and caring about and thinking about the actual people and the actual needs that are around me, from a desire to build people up in their faith, to love the people around me. You remember last week the two purposes of church, to glorify God and to build us up as the church. And so this is where we come back to 1 Corinthians 12, and, and this idea that um, Paul is making, as I said, he's rebuking them for making value judgments, spiritual value judgments uh, on each other, that you, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and likewise the, the foot can't say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not valuable. Neither of those are valid. There must be differences if we're to be a functioning body. Hopefully that's clear. But if we do get that, then I think we should find verse 31 surprising. If you've got your Bible there, verse 31, 
says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. So he's just been making pains to say, we're not all the same and we shouldn't be and don't make value judgments between each other, but now eagerly desire the greater gifts? Pursue that? What's he, what's he getting at there? I hope you can feel the tension and the surprise that that verse causes. That is, how can we pursue the greater gifts when we're not meant to be making value judgments between them? Well, the answer, I think, is if we just finish reading verse 31 and then on into chapter 13. Sometimes the little translator subheadings and the big chapter numbers are unhelpful because we stop reading when we get to them. And if you've got a printed Bible there, there is a big heading in the way of the rest of the verse. But if you read through, let me read through into it now from verse 31 and into chapter 13. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men, even of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, but have not love, I gain nothing. So there is actually a distinction between some things being better than others. But the thing that makes a difference is not about what's more impressive or what's more obvious or what's more tangibly spiritual. The thing that makes the difference, you heard it there, right, is love. That is making a decision for what I do based on what will actually be helpful and loving for the people around me. And particularly the things that will build and encourage and strengthen people in trusting Jesus. And so further down on the page in in my Bible, in in chapter 14, verse 12, it says, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build the church. That's the criteria. If we're going to make decisions about one thing versus another, what will be actually helpful in building people into love and trusting Jesus all the more? What will grow people in that? And so that will change what we do and how we do it. And I want to suggest that this challenges a a certain complacency that can sometimes come up in churches, and particularly, I think, that can come up if we have a misunderstanding of the first point. That is, it doesn't matter what I do as long as it comes from the heart. As long as I've got my right motivation, I want to glorify God, so I'll just kind of do my thing, and that's all that matters. But here's the thing, right? The thing that glorifies God is when we do things that are actually loving and helpful and and thoughtful for the people around us, that actually build them up into trusting Jesus more. And in fact, that verse that I quoted a moment ago from chapter 10, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, that was specifically talking about what will be helpful for the people around you. That's the decision that you're making. That's where the right heart motivation should lead us, to actually look around to the people around me and ask, well, how can I love and serve these people? And so it should make us as purposeful then as we can be. It will make us want to be deliberate and intentional and and thoughtful, well-considered. It's not just kind of my private act of service rendered to God. 
that doesn't make any difference to the people around me. Now, the right motivation will actually push me to ask, well, what actually will be most helpful for the people around me? And that requires looking around to see what will be helpful. And, and I think it also gives us focus, uh, direction, energy, purposefulness to what our serving should or shouldn't look like. Because there's a point to what we're doing. I'm trying to, to build us up together into trusting Jesus more and to gather other people into joining us in his kingdom as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what it will do then is it'll, it'll put a, a, a bit of a, a twist on that common question that Christians ask sometimes is, how do I work out what my spiritual gifts are? You know that question and sometimes you know, there are books and programs and courses and stuff that you can do on that topic and sometimes they can be helpful. But nine times out of ten, the problem is they start at the wrong end. All right? They start with the question, what am I good at? What do I like doing? What do I naturally lean towards? That's how I work out what my spiritual gifts are. But do you see how if love is the thing that actually determines what spiritual gifts should be, then it flips the whole thing around to look out first. I look out first before I look to myself. We look at the needs of others. We look at the who. We look at the what. We look at the how. What are the needs and opportunities? And then, once I've kind of seen those, I say, well, what can I do into this space? How can I love and serve and act into this space for these people? And if we get that wrong, we end up doing what the Corinthians were doing, which is that thinking that spiritual gifts are primarily about me and my kind of exercise of them, my opportunity to express myself, so to speak, or, or to feel useful, which we touched on Last week, in fact, last week you, you remember if you were here last week, we talked about that idea of the, the family meal together, like a Christmas lunch or something. Just say you turn up at a, a Christmas lunch, and and you say, well, how can I help? And the person organising the food says, yeah, great, thanks. Um, you could peel some potatoes, and you, you say, sorry, I should have been clearer. What I, what I meant was, I'm really good at shucking oysters. Do you have any oysters for me to shuck? You know, I've, I've even I've even got my own shucking off. I meant, how can I help by shucking oysters? And they say, well, we're having a roast dinner, you know, beef and potatoes and carrots and onions and so on. We don't have any oysters. And so you say, well, there's obviously nothing that I can do here. I'll go wait in the other room. Let me know when lunch is ready. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it, when you express it like that? But that's what happens when we start off by looking at ourselves and think, well, what are my spiritual gifts? That's how I need to be serving. I was in a church once that just for some reason had a, a, a larger than usual number of flautists in the congregation, you know, people who play the flute. Imagine if I turn up in that church and I, and I go, well, I'm also a flautist and so this is how I'm going to serve and just find, a, the band needs to find a spot for me to be able to, to do that because I need to be able to serve in that way. But that's not what spiritual gifts are for, right? And so this challenges us to think beyond the, that, that you know, to put it crudely, that me-focused orientation to what else can I do. Uh, there's this beautiful example uh, one time also in a church that I was involved in. In fact, it was a new, we, we started a new church and it was quite small to begin with and uh, the, the band was, was, was okay but it could do with some strengthening and we were just kind of making do with what we had and it was, it was okay. 
But then one guy, kind of of his own volition, just thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and get drum lessons. So every week for months, he was just getting private drumming lessons. And then eventually he kind of got to a level of, of skill and went, okay, right, like I can play the drums in church now. And it was, it was a little bit shaky for the first couple of weeks, but in the end it was fantastic because it helped us together to, to grow in, a, in our ability to praise God together. And it was a, a great example, I think, of someone going, well, here's a need. How can I equip myself and pursue and desire to excel in something that will actually be helpful for others? That's just one kind of small example, but I think it's quite, quite an a, um, encouraging one. And so we get this idea, as it says here, of pursuing or desiring gifts that maybe we didn't think we had or that maybe we wouldn't originally have been naturally inclined towards that we can strive to excel in things that will be helpful for others. So it challenges us, as I said, to think outside the box, that is, the box of ourselves, of our own expectations. Not just say, this is how I serve, but then to lift our eyes to the people around us and think, how can I serve these people? And the new opportunities that that raises for us. Because a spiritual gift, in the end, can be anything that is helpful for building up others. It can be something that's practical, and I hear some great stories about people who are doing that kind of thing. It can be the words that we say, and it should be. It can be administrative things. It can be organised things or informal things. But whatever it is, it has this goal and this direction of building people around you into trusting Jesus and also bringing more people into God's kingdom as fellow brothers and sisters of Christ. And, and just, I guess, to, to make clear what hopefully has, has become clear throughout is that this is not just talking about what happens for the hour and a bit from 10 till you know, quarter past 11 or whatever it is on a Sunday morning. Nor is it just talking about what we might do on a roster. What we do in kind of this moment of church is an important part of our life together, but it's not the limit by any means of the opportunities or the contexts for us to serve. In some ways, what it ends up being is like an engine room that that can then generate opportunities and, and will to be serving in other ways. That is, we make sure here in this moment that the word of God and trusting Jesus is the foundation of who we are and what we're on about. That is the thing that must define us and drive us. And it also becomes a starting place for the relationships that we have, the who of who we are to be serving. But from that point on, the opportunities are limitless. It can you know, be stuff that happens before our meeting, after our meeting, during our meeting, during the week, any other time. It can be talking to someone who's lonely, leading the music, serving morning tea, cooking a meal for someone who's uh, in need or who's had a baby, leading youth or kids' ministry, being particularly committed to prayer for people, arriving early so that you can talk to newcomers, because I don't know if you've noticed, but the new people always arrive early while the regulars usually arrive late. (laughs) Encouraging someone in their faith. What a great blessing that is. Challenging someone in their faith, difficult thing, but loving as well. Visiting the sick, leading a Bible study, participating in a Bible study, sharing your faith, cleaning the toilets, telling someone about Jesus. That's not meant to be an exhaustive list, although it's kind of exhausting saying it all. But you hear looking out 
it gives us, if we have this commitment of loving people, loving people because of Jesus and loving people towards Jesus, that's the direction of our love. And if I could just add to that, what an important and, and valuable part Bible study groups can play in this as well. And I know many of us are in Bible study groups. In some ways, it's quite similar to how, how kind of the church meeting functions, but it can also give us more focused opportunities to be serving each other. Uh, you know, Bible studies also have the word of God and trusting Jesus as the foundation, but it gives us more opportunities to be speaking that directly into each other's lives, to be applying that more specifically to each other in that smaller context where we're all more talking to each other so, more than in this gathering, so to speak, to encourage, to comfort, to challenge each other. It gives us also generally more focused relationships that we can care for each other in practical ways, in, in spiritually, relationally, and then together to think how we can care for other people beyond the group. To think how we can do mission together, to be encouraging each other as we seek to speak to our, our friends and neighbours about Jesus, to, to pray for each other, but also pray beyond the scope of the needs of our group. Bible study groups, I think, really can be such a, an important and helpful kind of hub for serving and, and catalyst, starting point for serving. And so can I just I guess, use this as an as a, a opportunity for a plug? If you're not in a Bible study group, then perhaps think about next year. And it's, uh, over the next few months, I'll be plugging this a bit more. But make an intention that next year would be a good time to start being in a Bible study group. And if you are in one, then let this be an opportunity to think about what they're for and what a, what a good opportunity they are to, to be involved in each other's lives in ways that are helpful, to, to serve and grow others towards trusting Jesus more, to be speaking God's word into each other's lives in specific and helpful and encouraging ways, to love, care, pray for people, and together to reach out beyond your groups. I mean, what a, what a great answer to that question, you know, what is my role? That, what a great opportunity to be able to be serving in that space. So what is my role in a healthy church? Well, if we come off, as I said, the back of those two purposes of church, to glorify God and to build ourselves up together, then we get look up. Look up. Our motivation comes from a desire to glorify God. And we do that by looking around to ask the question, how can I serve these people around me? How can I build them up into greater love and serving and trusting Jesus and gather more people into his kingdom as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you help us to be people who do look up and who do look around, uh, that uh, our desire to live for you, to honour and glorify you, will be the, the, the burning heart of all that we do. And as a result, to love the people around us will provide direction and purpose into what that looks like. And Father, may that help us to be as Jesus said, that our love is the thing that sets us apart from the world, that by our love, people will know that we are his disciples and will want to join us in following Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.